Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Relove Podcast. This is Pastor Seth Yolorda, and I want to thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to listen to this week's message. Our prayer is that it will leave you inspired, encouraged, and challenged as you grow higher in Christ. And I also just want to ask that if this message is a blessing to you, that you would take the time to share it, to send it to a friend, send it to a family member so that they too can be blessed. Again, we thank you for taking the time to listen, and we pray that you are blessed. Would you pray with me? Father, we just thank you. I thank you for this church. I thank you for the opportunity that you've granted us to serve here. And uh, God, I just know that you're the head and that you will continue to lead this church forward. You will continue to allow them to do great and mighty things. You will continue to allow them to just really make a difference in people's lives, to create space where people can feel loved and supported. And Lord, I just pray that you would just continue to have your way, that the person that comes, that it would be just the right person that you designed to be here. And then they would just continue to lead this church forward. Lord, I thank you for the staff, for the board, for all of those who have blessed us in years past with service. Thank you for Rico, for, for Paula, for Janet, for Stephen, for Keith, for Jeremiah. I thank you for Pastor James and how he laid such a strong foundation. Thank you for Sarah and how she worked with our children's ministry. I thank you for Celeste and the great work that she did here under our, as our outreach leader for, for a season. And, just her heart for ministry. God, I just thank you for Sean, <laughs> who used to lead us in praise and worship, and, and, um, and now Ricky and his team. God, I thank you for them. And I just pray that as we continue to dream about what, you're, what you desire for us um, in our personal lives and then collectively, God, that you would just give us the courage to go after it. Give us the courage to go after it. So we thank you, Lord. We bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we open the word, I, I got to give a, a, a special just acknowledgement to my wife. You know, she is the MVP. Um, man, I, I wake up in the morning and rush out the house. And she is there doing hair and putting everybody together. And um, Friday nights, when I'm feverishly trying to figure out when we'll preach, <laughs> she handles the kids. And she has been just a tremendous support. I could not have asked for and would never, never ask for anyone better. Um, she's indeed a blessing. So thank you, Holly. Thank you for your, your support. She is the person who pushes me to be great. Um, she believes in the gift that God has given me. And there are many, many times that I will leave this pulpit and I'll be like, oh, that was just horrible. Oh my goodness, what was I talking about today? And she will be like, that was the best sermon I have ever heard. <laughs> and I'm like, you're just saying that. She was like, no, and the spirit was just all over you. And I'll be like, so what were the main points? And she'd be like, it doesn't matter what the points were. The spirit just spoke to me. 
And there's, unfortunately, there's been many times she hasn't been able to be here um, because either one child is sick or another, um, or just a rough week, and so she wanted to stay back, but always tuning in and watching and supporting. So thank you. Thank you, Holly. I, I love you and um, look forward to what the next season holds for us. I really do. Uh, I want to just start with Romans chapter 8. We're going to go there if you've got your Bibles. I'm aware of the time. Um, <clears throat> we will be here next week. Um, so there'll be, if you want to come and worship with us, we'll have a, a smaller service next week, 1 p.m. Um, give you some time to open your presents and then get your kids together if you so desire. Um, we'll also be streaming, right? Um, we won't be streaming next week's service, but there's a special service that we're, we're preparing that will just be online. So you can also choose to be online as well. And we are having a baptism next week. Um, so we have some people who are coming from out of town who are in the area and they've reached out to us because they want to get baptized. And so we'll be facilitating that. So, so, so to, uh, th- th- while this may be my farewell, um, I will also be sharing a, a brief word, um, a prayer meeting word next week. <laughs> Romans chapter 8. So what do you think? <clears throat> Verse 1. And this is, thir- thir- excuse me, Romans chapter 8. And um, we want to start with Verse 31. Romans chapter 8, uh, Romans 8, verse 31. I don't see 31 on the screen. Yeah, there it is. So what do you think? And this is from the message version. What do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he, won't, he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? And who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? Who would dare even point a finger? I want to make sure we got the right slides there. The one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, is in the presence of God at the very moment sticking up for us. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and God's love for us? There is no way. Not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. They kill us in cold blood because they hate you. We're sitting ducks. They tick us off one by one. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing... Nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. So what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything, excuse me, make sure I got the right sides here. Let me go to the word. Romans 8, 31. Yes. Message. Yes.
They kill us in cold blood because they hate you. We're sitting ducks. They put us, they pick us off one by one. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I am absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. This is the word of the Lord. So I was thinking, what do you say? What do you preach? What do you share with the congregation as a farewell message? And my mind just kept going back to when we got started and why we got started as Relove Church. As many of you all know, we were Westminster Good Samaritan Church for a number of years, um, 30 plus years under that name. But when I came, um, that you all were in the process of transitioning into a new identity because obviously we moved from our previous location to this location. I'll never forget when I first came, the, I, I don't remember who it was, if it was Pastor James or someone told me that the church had actually voted to um, name itself New Beginnings. Right, New Beginning Seventh-day Adventist Church. That was the name that had gone through business meeting and that was voted. And so I asked myself, well, why doesn't anyone call us New Beginnings? And people were like, well, we don't know. We just haven't really embraced it as our own yet. And so we said, well, let's, let's visit that. And so we called the church together when we started talking about where we felt God was calling us. And in fact, it was New Beginnings. Great. If not, let's go back to the drawing board. And we all felt collectively that we were called to go back to the drawing board. And so we started praying about, about who we felt God was calling us to be. And, and through much prayer and fasting and conversations, I remember it like it was yesterday. We were sitting at a staff meeting and we were just kind of doodling on paper and on the board and just having, having a brainstorming session. And I don't know who thought of it, if it was me or Nicholas or Sarah or one of us came up with the idea of, of re-love. And as soon as it came up, they came up with the idea, it was almost like everyone in that room was like, yes, that's it. That's what we should call ourselves, re-love. And as we started to unpack what it means to be this church called re-love, it became very clear that re-love was not just designed to be the name of the church, but re-love was actually designed to be how we lived our lives. That's why it was so important that we said that we don't want just a name that, that, you know, as many churches do, they name themselves after the street or they name themselves after the city, but it really has no personal connection to who they are. They don't feel compelled to live out a certain way, you know, because the name of your church is the name of the city. But, but to call yourself Relove is almost scary because you're essentially saying that we are going to be that church that will love you over and over and over and over again. And that's a daunting task to recognize that God has called us as a congregation and as a community to actually love people and not just people that are lovable, but people who are unlovable, that God has called us to love them. And so we embrace this idea of, yes, this is who we are called to be, this church that is going to love no matter who you are or where you've been or what your story or what your issues or what your habits might be. We want this to be a place where you can come and find safety and security. And I think to a large degree, God has blessed us to begin to, and to really live into that name. But our ability to love people really is truly based on us understanding that God loves us. Do I have a witness? That God loves us. And he doesn't just love us once. He loves us over and over and over and over. Anybody in here ever make a mistake? Anybody in here ever here do something they shouldn't have done, say something they shouldn't have said, gone someplace they shouldn't have gone, done some things you probably shouldn't have done, 
thought some thoughts, even when you knew it was wrong and you knew this is not how I should possibly be conducting myself, yet you still engage. And guess what? God still loves you. And so to understand that we are loved by a God whose love never fails, it really compels us to then say, man, if God loves me this much, I guess I got to love other people the same way. And for us to then extend that same grace and that same mercy and that same favor and that same love, and have we done it perfectly? No. We have not done it perfectly, but we are stepping into and leaning into and really trying to really model that collectively, but then also individually modeling this love that God has for us. I think the reason why re-love, that name and that identity is so important, it's because I firmly believe that love is the solution to every problem. Not politics, not money, even though that's nice, but love. That love truly is the solution to Every problem you are experiencing right now. Anybody in here have some problems in their life? Yeah. That the solution to every single one of them is love. And the reason why I believe this so firmly, and I'm not just talking about marriage problems and, oh, if you just love your, house, your, your, your spouse more, your wife more, your husband more, kid problems, if you just love your kids more, if your kids love you more. And I'm not talking about coworker problems. I'm talking about money problems, health problems, all problems that you might find that you are experiencing today, things that are causing you worry and stress and anxiety and concern and, 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 and frustration. All of those problems, they find their solution in love. And I want to just take a few moments and really just kind of try to illustrate this for you. Because when you think about humanity's great problem, humanity's great problem all the way back to Genesis in chapter 3 is the great problem that humanity experienced. In Genesis chapter 3, we know that God came down and they, they made this mistake. And yet, when humanity was separated from God, the way that God decided to solve humanity's big problem of sin was love. For God so loved the world that he gave. God looked down upon us and he said, man, like there's issues now. They've sinned. They've disobeyed me. Now there's going to be division and war and strife and turmoil and there's going to be murder and killings and there's going to be divorce and there's going to be all these problems that are going to plague people's lives. And God said, I have a solution. Love. Let me send my son out of love and let me let him go down and die for them. And so God said, for God so loved the world, John tells us, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We don't need more politicians. We don't need more bailouts. Even though I'm waiting for that student loan bailout, do I got a witness in the house? We don't need it, but I, I do need it. I do need it. <laughs> what we need is love. And that love is 
the solution to every problem because I believe that every problem we experience in life, in your life and in mine, flows out of a broken self-concept. Every problem flows out of a broken self-concept. Okay, let me, let me go to my board. I've been waiting for this moment. The last time. And let me try to illustrate this, if I may. In Genesis in chapter 3, if you, maybe you can put that on the screen for me, Keith. Uh, Genesis chapter 3. Can y'all see this? Genesis in chapter 3. This is Adam and Eve. Genesis in chapter 3. The Bible tells us that Eve saw that the tree was good. She was convinced, so she saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and so she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit, and then she ate it, and she gave it to her husband, and he also did what? He also ate it. And then verse 7 says, and at that moment, at that moment that they ate that tree, That smile got turned upside down. And at that moment, the Bible says, at that moment, their eyes were open and they suddenly felt what? Shame and what? And nakedness. At that moment, they saw themselves differently. They saw themselves differently. Whereas before they saw themselves in the image of God and they were clothed, we're told, in the garment of light. And that then before they, they saw themselves as being naked and unashamed. And the moment they took that fruit and they ate it, in that moment, their entire self-concept, how they perceived themselves changed. And the Bible says that as soon as they, they that, 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 that transaction happened, in their minds, in their eyes. The Bible says, as soon as their eyes were open, they felt they were ashamed. They then did something. They sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves because now they realize that we, we are different than what we thought we were. Something has happened. I now see my, my naked body and I now feel ashamed. So let me cover myself. And then the Bible says in the very next text, when the cool of evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking in the garden. And so they hid. So going all the way back to Genesis in chapter 3, we realize that because of the sin, all of us are now functioning with a broken perspective of who we are. And every problem that you experience and every problem that I experience in my life is flowing out of that brokenness. And so when I try to interact with my children, I try to interact with my spouse, or you try to interact with your coworkers, all of that interaction is flowing out of a brokenness. It's either a brokenness that places too much esteem upon myself. So now I am an overestimator of my abilities and I walk around with pride and arrogance. That is still a broken self-concept or it is a brokenness that manifests itself in me underrating my value. And so now I walk around with self-deprecating thoughts. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not bright enough. I'm not, I'm not pretty enough. And all of my interactions with those around me flow out of that brokenness. 
And so because of what happened in Genesis 3, how we now view ourselves and the internal dialogue that we are having with ourselves constantly, the tapes that we are playing over and over in our mind are tapes that are reiterating our brokenness and our, 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 our cementing and driving into our consciousness this, this false notion that we are not what God created us to be. Our self-concept is broken. And we spend all of our mature adult life trying to restore and to rebuild that. Because what happens inevitably is that when you were a child, someone came and said that you weren't good enough. Or maybe your father walked out on you or your mother was not as, as nurturing as you needed her to be. Um, and, and maybe you had siblings that teased you because you were too short or too tall or too big or too skinny. And so they have, they, they have hardwired into your brain this idea that there's something wrong with you. And you spend your entire life with this, this, this cloud of, I'm not good enough, I'm, I'm kind of ashamed, I don't know if I fit in into society, I'm kind of awkward. You spend your entire life with this false notion of who you are because when you were a child, someone dropped you. Not physically, but emotionally. Maybe even physically. I did drop my sister when she was a child. But she, she survived. She's smarter than me, and she's doing greater things than me, so I, I count that as my blessing to her. <laughs> but someone dropped us. Sin has then creeped into the crevices of our lives, and now how we interact with others over here, we interact with others over here out of brokenness. So when you come across me and you interact with me and the reason why I have a hard time forgiving is because there's something going on inside of me that makes it hard for me to forgive you. And the reason why it's hard for me to really go the extra mile for you is because there's something going on inside of me that says, I don't know if you deserve me going the extra mile for you because you didn't go the extra mile for me, so why should I go the extra mile for you? And it's not them who's the problem, there's something inside of you that is the problem. The reason why I feel like I have to act out and I have to sleep around with everyone and have to live this promiscuous life is because there's something going on inside of me. It's not just because sex feels good. It's not just because that's just what boys do, sowing their oats, wild oats, or what girls do is they're promiscuous. No, there's something going on inside of me where I'm trying to fill a void by having sex with multiple people out here. The reason why I, I, I feel as though I must, I must numb myself with substances and substance abuse and things along those lines is because there's something going on inside of me. There is a brokenness. And yes, therapy is needed, trust, but not even therapy can heal that. And preaching is needed, but not even preaching can heal that. There is something deep in my soul that is broken and it oozes out in how I relate to the world. In not just negative ways like abuse or trauma, but also in arrogant ways 
when I feel like I'm better than everyone and, I'm, and I look down upon someone and, and I feel like I, have an, uh, like I am wor- more worthy than everyone else, it's because there is a brokenness inside of me. That maybe when you were a child, you felt like nothing you did was good enough for your father and so you spend your entire life trying to prove your value by lording it over other people. Even though he is gone and passed away, you are still trying to prove yourself to him because there is some brokenness inside of you. And if we're all honest with ourselves, all of us got at least just a little bit of brokenness inside of us. And the smaller you think your brokenness is, the bigger it probably actually is. And... When you have a broken self-concept, it is impossible for you to love yourself. And it is impossible for you to truly love other people. You might like other people, and you might appreciate other people, and you might love people who love you, but when you have a broken self-concept, it will be impossible for you to love people who you don't like. Because you cannot love someone else if you don't fundamentally love yourself. And many of us, generally speaking, don't love ourselves. Even those of us who think we love ourselves, it's a, it's a pseudo-love that we're trying to somehow mask for the true brokenness in our heart. And so, that is why I say that the solution to every problem, every relationship problem that we have, the solution is love. And it starts with you embracing a love for yourself. If I can truly love who I am, then it makes it so much easier for me to love who you are. Because in loving who I am, that means I also have to, exp- I have to, also have to embrace my flaws. <laughs> I'm not loving myself because I'm perfect. No, yeah, I got some quirks and I got some issues and I got some flaws and I got some little particular things that nuances about my life and I just, I embrace all of who I am and I accept all of who I am. And that doesn't mean I'm not actively trying to work on who I am, but it means that I'm aware that I am okay just as I am and that I am going to just love myself. But we can't truly love ourselves without having a clear understanding of God's love for us. And so, and so, and so it flows. It flows. This is God over here. It flows. We'll give him some some rays. It flows that God is actively, actively trying to Every single, every single day of our life, every single moment that you're alive, every single moment that you're awake, God is actively trying to move you into a closer understanding, a deeper understanding of his love for you. So he is doing everything he can to get you to fully embrace the idea that he loves you. In fact, I love how Paul says it, and we read it in Romans chapter 8. This is from the New Living Translation. He says, do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? 
He says, there is no way, not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in scripture. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. It goes on to say, none of this phases us because Jesus loves us. And so what Paul is trying to communicate to us is that when you truly understand that God loves you, no matter what happens, no matter how messed up you might think your life is, that God's love for you never fails, it almost creates like a um, a greenhouse or an incubator where you can now truly grow and develop because you know that even though I got mistakes and I got flaws, I I am matchlessly loved by God, that there is nothing that I could do that could ever separate him from my love. And the problem with us, this is the problem. The problem is that we know that. All of us in here know that God loves us. Do I have a witness? We know that John 3.16 tells us, for God so loved the world, We know that what Christ did on the cross is the greatest testament of his love for us. We know that in our mind. But then we look in the mirror. And when we look in the mirror, the mirror lies to us. And the mirror tells us that there's no way that this can be true because look at you. There's no way that God can really love you because look at who you are and look at what you've done. And look at what you just said. And look at how you behave. And look at your thoughts. Like you don't even love yourself. If you don't love yourself, how is it that God can love you? I can understand if maybe you loved yourself, then maybe, yeah, because you love yourself, God can love you. But you don't even love yourself half the time. How is it that God can love you? And for many of us, we, we can listen to the scripture one day a week, or we can have a devotion, or we can hear what the word of God says, but then every morning we get up and we look in the mirror. And when we look in the mirror, the mirror reminds us that we are unlovable and that we truly are not loved. And it may not be the literal mirror in your bathroom. It may be social media is your mirror. It may be the news is your mirror. It may be conversations with your friends is your mirror. It may be what your spouse says to you is your mirror. It may be an interaction that you have with your coworkers is your mirror. But there's something in your life that is telling you that what God just said in his word is truly not true. And so because it's not true, we begin to then doubt and look and we say, you know what? In fact, God, you're not telling the truth. This thing is telling the truth because look at me. And it just reinforces this idea in our minds that I am not lovable. I am broken. I am not good enough. And that just continues the cycle of how we interact with other people because it's only reinforcing how we truly feel about ourselves. And yet Paul comes over and over again. He's like, listen, nothing you do can separate you from God's love. Nothing you do can separate you from God's love. Can you just turn to your neighbor and say, nothing you do can separate you from God's love? Like, I know it's pretty bad, and your friends might stop loving you, and your family might disown you, and, you know, your coworkers might not want to talk to you, but the reality is that there's nothing you can do that can separate you from God's love. In fact, I love how Paul says it, and I'm convinced 
that nothing can separate us from God's love. Death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. What is Paul trying to communicate to us? That God loves you over and over and over and over and over and over again, and that he will never stop loving you because God is love. God doesn't have love. God doesn't possess love. He is love. He doesn't treat love like a light switch that he turns on and off or up and down. No, he is love. And even when you look at yourself in the mirror and you might feel that you're not good enough or you're not worthy, know that God's love is washing over you and God's love is trying to pierce through your brokenness and communicate to you, listen, for crying out loud, I love you. What more could I have done than to send you my only son? If I, didn't, if I didn't withhold my son from you, don't you know I won't withhold anything from you? Everything I do in your life is to try to help you understand and to embrace and to realize that I love you. And if you truly understood the love of God, it would truly lead you to this point where you can say, I can love myself because God loves me. And when you can truly love yourself, then you can truly love other people, even other people who don't love you. (laughs) Let me walk this way. Okay. Even people who get on your nerves, even people who take advantage of you, even people who might mistreat you and abuse you, doesn't mean that you need to stay in a relationship with people. But when you truly understand that God loves me unconditionally, and because I'm a recipient of the love of God, therefore I, have, I feel like I have space and room and confidence to love and appreciate who I am and my unique contribution, and therefore I, it doesn't, it's no sweat off of my back you know, for me to love you who may not necessarily love me in return. This, this love is not that world love that we sing about. This love is agape love. It is a love that flows from the Father into your heart, swirls all up around in who you are, and then it flows out to other people. And so you have a neighbor who's getting on your nerves because they keep parking on your grass, and you call the HOA on them. But the HOA is like, hey, we ain't getting involved with that. And every time you see, you see their car halfway on your grass, or they keep letting their dog come over to your yard and poop on your grass, and they don't have the decency to pick it up, guess what your response is? Love. Did someone say, you sue them? Is that what I heard you say? No, no, no. Love. You have a coworker who you know is talking about you and plotting against you and coming for you, and they don't like you for whatever reason. They don't like you. You've given them no reason not to like you, but they're clearly still coming for you. And rather than you trying to repay evil for evil because you recognize that, you know what? Uh, you don't got a heaven to put me in or a hell to send me to. My, my place in this company and my place in my life is not based off of you. I, my steps are divinely ordered by a God who loves me supremely. Therefore, I don't really concern myself with what man can do to me. And my response to that coworker is love. Oh, Lord, you're talking to me. Even when you're driving on that demonic 91. This one's for me, y'all. And that person cuts you off. 
understanding that you don't know what's going on inside their car, what's going on inside of their mind. So God is telling me, this is for me right here. Seth, your response to them is, is love. Yeah. When your spouse, who knows how to push your buttons, gladly got your buttons on speed dial <laughs> and just pushes them things, Lord have mercy. Your response is, your response is love. When the IRS is coming for you, they're coming for you because you know you ain't do what you were supposed to do. Or maybe you did what you were supposed to do, but they don't think you did what you were supposed to do. So they're coming for you. Your response, can you love the IRS? It's not really a person's, right? So maybe we can't. No, I don't know. No. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to let God fight this battle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. Because you, you love Love says, I'm not going to attribute a worse motive to you than I would attribute to myself. Love says, if I would give myself the benefit of the doubt, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. And love says, even when you disappoint me and you betray the trust, I'm still going to extend grace to you. I might have to distance myself in the relationship from you because it's not safe, but I will still extend grace to you and I will pray for you. And so Jesus says to us some of the hardest words he's ever said to us, bless those that curse you. I think many of us look at those as like symbolic words, not literal words, right? No, he says, bless those that curse you. Pray for those who despitefully use you. I've said this before, that my translation for that is bake them a cake. Take them a gift. Those people who are coming for you, love them. And by this, will your Father in heaven be pleased. Because they came for him, his son, and he did not respond likewise. So, so, so when I think about why we are here as re-love, we are here because I firmly believe at our core, God is trying to raise up a generation of people who will be more concerned with loving people than being right. That God is trying to create a space where people who are broken and people who have issues and people who don't have it all together, that they can come and they can find safety in this place. That is what re-love is all about. A place where I can come and know that with me, with my issues and my family, we are safe here. And you are safe here. Last thing I want to leave with you. First Peter chapter 4. It says, verse 8. Uh, verse 7, everything in the world is about to be wrapped up, so take nothing for granted. Stay wide awake in prayer. Most of all, love each other, what? 
as if your life depended on it. Because love makes up for practically anything. Be quick to give a meal to the hungry, a bed to the homeless, cheerfully. Be generous with the different things God gave you, but with the different things God gave you, passing them around so all get in on it. If words, let it be God's words. If help, let it be God's help, hearty help. That way, God's bright presence will be evident in everything through Jesus, and he'll get all the credit as the one mighty in everything, on course, the end of time. Yes. To be loved by God, it means that God sees you, God hears you, and God celebrates you. That's what it means to be loved by God. It means that he sees you. Out of all of the six billion people on this planet, God sees you, God hears you, and God celebrates you. And then to love others means that you see them, you hear them, and you celebrate them. It doesn't mean that you see them, hear them, and criticize them. It doesn't mean that you see them, hear them, and give them a piece of your mind. It means you see them, you hear them, and you celebrate them. And by this will all men know that you're my disciples because you have love. So I, I, I stand and leave this charge with you that, that you and we all collectively might continue, no matter where we go or where life takes us, that we might continue to always be re-love. That re-love might show up on your job, that re-love might show up in the store, that re-love would show up in the, on the highway, that re-love would show up in your marriage, that re-love would show up in your parenting, that re-love would show up in your neighborhood, that re-love would show up every place you show up. And that when you walk in the door of any room in your life, that you might walk in with a level of awareness that love is here, it's okay. Love just, love just walked through the door. It's all right. Everything's going to be all right because love is here. Because God is loving that room through you. That's my prayer for us. And that's my charge for us. It's a simple song. Jesus loves me. This I know for the... Bible tells me so. The mirror, not the mirror, not the phone, not the media, the Bible tells me that Jesus loves me. And my faith is hooked on to what God says. And I'm choosing to believe that what God says is true above and beyond how I feel, what I see, what I think, what might be going on around me. God said he loves me. And that's it. And because God loves me, I can love myself. And because I love myself, I can love others unconditionally. Unconditionally. Would you pray with me? 
In fact, let me just make an appeal. If you want to be reloved, no matter where you go, would you just stand with me? And you want to say, God, would you just let your love flow through me? But don't just pass by me, God. Bring me to a point where my own brokenness is healed. Where my self-concept, how I see myself, my own identity, my own person, that when I look in the mirror, I don't see my flaws and my issues. I don't see my faults. I don't see my stutterings and my stammerings. I don't see my size. I don't see the pimples on my face, the blemishes in my body. I don't see the scars and the wounds. But God, when I look in the mirror, I see your love for me. Scars and all. God, we praying today that we would truly know the height and the depth and the breadth and the width of your love for us, that we would know that your love crossed all of heaven and hell to come and to rescue us, God, that we would know that nothing can truly separate us from your love, that you love us, that you love us, and that because you love us, God, it gives us permission, it gives us space, it gives us the confidence to love ourselves. To know that, listen, I got some issues, but it's okay. God loves me and I accept all of me. Doesn't mean he's not working on me. You know, he's still trying to iron out some stuff in my life and I'm still trying to grow in my maturity, my spiritual maturity, but I will not beat myself up. I will not allow my brokenness to ooze from my life and impact and affect those that I interact with around me, that when I step into a room, I will step into that room with confidence knowing that love has just showed up. Even if it's not reciprocated, even if it feels a little, a little cold, love has just showed up. And may we be love to all those that we encounter. Father, I thank you again for the honor of serving as the minister and the pastor of this church. And Lord, I just commission the leaders and the, the staff and the team and the members to, to continue to be steadfast always abounding in love. God, I commission this church to continue to go forward and just to be what you have called it to be to everyone that it encounters, love. And Lord, we know love doesn't mean that we allow abuse to happen. Love doesn't mean that we have to maintain every single relationship. There's some things that we have to separate because it's just unhealthy. But may our hearts always be filled with love, even to those who are not healthy. And may this church just continue to radiate in this community. Here is a place where if you are desiring to experience acceptance in Christ, you can be here. You can be here. Father, I thank you. I bless you. And we worship you in Jesus' name. Let everyone who believes say amen and amen. Let's just put our hands together.